0: She was living in a small, crowded tenement in Singapore with her brothers and sisters, an abusive father, and an illiterate mother, surrounded by cobwebs and dust and stuff, so much stuff, she felt broken. We will meet her in just a moment. Hello, everyone. My name is Pamela Brewer, welcoming you to this edition of Mind Talk. And I am pleased to introduce to you the author of Failing Up A Professor's Odyssey of Flunking, Determination, and Hope. Dr. Barbara Hong, welcome to Mind Talk.
1: Aloha. Good morning.
0: Today, Dr. Barbara Hung is a professor, a special education program coordinator at Brigham Young University in Hawaii. She has a doctorate from Columbia University in New York and three master's degrees. Today, Dr. Barbara Hung is anything but the broken failure her parents taught her to believe that she was. Dr. Hung, you're father wanted you to drop out of school at the sixth grade but you refused what was that all about
1: well it was going through each grade actually that uh, you keep failing and again this was back in 1970 when Singapore had just separated you know from Malaysia so schooling is really not a priority but survivor more of it you know and so people don't really think school sixth grade, or the biggest dream my mother had for anybody is if one of us make it to 10th grade, um, which is the equivalent of 12th grade high school in America. And so it's just a survival of everyday, you know.
0: So education, your education was learning how to survive.
1: Yeah, I mean, our home is a sweatshop, basically, and I'm grateful for that. So we basically snip uh, clothing and threads uh, of buttons, sleeves, you know, after it's been sewn so that they land uh, clean in the store when you buy them. So every dozen that we snip, uh, we get 30 cents. So we got to snip a lot of clothes. And again, my father being alcoholic, uh, he doesn't bring home anything. And if he brings home $5 um, from, you know, selling secondhand car or anything, is was wasted on his drinking, so we never really got anything. You there was s- no book in the house um you know to read at all.
0: you've said that your life was defined by poverty. Mislabels abuse and ridicule, you know i I think for so many people, certainly uh today at this moment in time, the sense that someone could be Asian and living in poverty it it just doesn 't kind of connect for a lot of people, but clearly that was not your life at all
1: well, there's one reason why I wrote the book. And uh it's so interesting as I released it, it was also the time when Crazy Rich Asia came out and the setting was Singapore. So when you think of Singapore, you don't think of poverty. I mean, uh research shows that by the year twenty twenty, Singapore would be the wealthiest country with the greatest number of millionaires per capita. So you don't think of poverty. I mean the place is you know, absolutely clean, skyscraper you know, great government, everything seems, you know, perfect, like any country. But again, back then, it was, uh, you know, separating from Malaysia, being independent. And uh, I don't think my scenario is that uh, uncommon. But the combination of effect, again, your parents, what they say to you, the priorities changes your life, Um from my perspective.
0: Absolutely. And
1: again back yeah, why why I wrote the book was people often have this stereotype and particularly one time when I was teaching at a university, this um Caucasian white man said, you know, I was helping him, he was alcoholic and he's twenty three years so, old, um, as a life coach for him and he said to me, You know, you will never understand what I'm going through you know, you must be rich, you go to Colombia, your parents are educated, uh, you're Asian, you must be good in math and science, and what are you to understand about alcoholic and addiction and poverty? And it dawned on me that, you know, I'm going to write this book. <laughs> and, and
0: quite frankly, with the reviews that it's been getting, there are a lot of people who are very pleased that you wrote the book. You, your story starts uh, in Failing Up with a startling scene of your mother directing you and your siblings to drink bleach so that your father would be upset when he came home and found you all dead. That just is hard to even think about. What was going on?
1: Well, in fact, It is so common that it happens every week that we just go through the routine. And then somehow my oldest brother will always, you know, interject and say, oh, mom, you know, she's just distraught when my dad doesn't come home. He's probably out with some, you know, woman, prostitutes outside. And by 2, 3 a.m., he doesn't come home. We don't know if he's alive, he's dead. You know, we don't have a way to reach him. And my mom is just waking everybody up and say, we're going to kill each other, you know. And my oldest brother would just, uh, you know, help, him, help her to calm down. You know, she'd take a, a scissors and she'd say, just stab yourself in the heart. You will die faster. And so, you know, uh, I, I don't know. I don't understand if there will be more bleeding or whatever, but that's the way we go too. She should turn on the gas and see that we, you know, Maybe smell it and die, and so she come up with creative ways to try to attempt kill us. So we literally go through a routine. That's what we do.
0: You know the idea. I I know there are people listening, and and their sort of, you know, brains are spinning around because it's so hard to imagine if you haven't lived it. It's so hard to imagine that you're living an absolute fear but yet almost learning how to disconnect from the fear. As you said, I mean, this was a routine. This happened every week. But the idea that your mom is waking everybody up and figuring out ways for you to kill yourself, I mean, I just can't imagine what that was like for you as a little one, five, six, seven years old.
1: I think it wasn't so much afraid as in confusion. Ah. I don't know, you know, like, I mean, I just remember standing in a crowded, tiny space in the bathroom, and there's all these cups, and with the drinking drink it. I said, it smells terrible, you know. I didn't even think, Mom, why are you doing this? And I, just, I, I just don't want to drink it because it smells terrible. I don't know what bleach is. I don't know what bleach does to the body, you know, all of this. And uh, so in my mind, it's like, oh, I'm just so tired. You know, I don't really know this dad who doesn't come home. And, again, my mom is not educated, as in she cannot write her name. So she doesn't know any other way to be a mother sometimes. It's, it is really we are all trying to survive.
0: What would you say, looking back, what would you say were was one of the primary things you learned about yourself as you were growing up? I'm going to ask you to think about that because we're going to take a break. And, but when we come back we'd like to hear your sense of perhaps the uh, one of the more powerful lessons your parents taught you about you folks this is okay. pamela brewer you're listening to mind talk having a conversation with dr barbara hong who by the way is in hawaii and i'm so appreciative of you being with us today and dr hong is author of failing up a professor's odyssey of flunking determination And hope. We'll be right back. Dr. Hung, what did you learn about yourself as you were a little one growing up? What would you say one one of the lessons your parents taught you about you?
1: Um, I know when we, you know, you're asking the question about lessons, and you think, you know, I was thinking, well, what are all the any good things that my parents taught me as a child and you nurture them. But the earliest memory I have about me, myself, was at seven years old when I was um, not admitted into first grade because Singapore has a rule which is stop at two. If you have the third child, the government will forgive you as an accident. But if you have the fourth child, which is me, the government will fine you for $1,000. Imagine how much money that is.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: So my mom revealed to me when I couldn't get in school because the government and other things punish you so that you have no other good schools to go to except whatever is left over, that uh, she tried to abort me twice when she was six months uh, pregnant with me. She went to some back alley, different, you know, snake oil, whatever, you know, doctor, and uh, drink stuff to try to... Get rid rid of me. So again, I don't know what that means when she said, I should have gotten rid of you. And after that, she keep on reminding me every time there's an upset. Or, you know, I don't know, as a kid, maybe I got her upset. And she'll say, you know, I should have gotten rid of you. You should never have been born. And so I don't really understand that until, I don't know, somehow it came to the realization I was the unwanted child and um so that kept with me all the time that everything i do doesn't matter because i never really should have existed
0: just to hear you say that i mean it is such a chilling experience for anyone to have, but certainly a child to grow up in that environment, along with the rest of the chaos that you were living. And, and, and you, you talked about one of your aunts at one point chastising you about getting an education. They really wanted you to just stop all that nonsense and get a job and help support the family.
1: Yeah. When I try to study You know, like really, literally just reading something. My mom would come up with a cane to cane me uh, if she caught me studying because I am basically turning on, you know, the the lights and wasting electricity. And she reminded me, you don't really have a brain. Remember, I already destroyed your brain. So you're retarded. And if you study more, it's going to explode. Do you want to die or just go back to sleep? You know, there's no point putting this in your head. And that's all she tells me all the time.
0: If you study, your brain is going to explode and you'll die. Wow. Yeah,
1: know, so it kind of had a fear in me, and uh, and I I don't know. I people from the outside may may see that as being cruel. I thought she was being caring about me because in the book I talk about, she tried to feed me tonics you know, like Chinese brew stuff because she perhaps feel guilty for what she did to me. And she said, let's fix that brain by drinking all this, you know, stuff that are bitter and things like that. So she doesn't have very much money, but she wanted to nurture that brain sometimes. Uh, so she's not always, you know, as much as she, she puts me down and things like that, she tells me, okay, drink this. It's good for your brain. Let's nurture it. Let's nurture it, you know. Uh, try to fix it, basically. But again, because I turn on electricity, it's going to cost money. I cannot do that. I have to go to the balcony, uh, on outside, and study. And as I, you know, talk about in the book, there were drunk people and and prostitutes, and I mean, my neighbor is a prostitute. So there are a lot of you know strange things that happen while growing up, just in the household.
0: You know, as as I read through your story, I, I was struck by many of the lessons. And, and, and essentially, I mean, your dad was in your life, but you know, being being drunk so much of the time, he was in your life, but not really. Uh, so you really didn't have a model for a healthy relationship with a man with a woman with yourself. Your mom was hurtful, your dad was absent. Uh sounds like the the male role model you had was really your brother.
1: Well that's uh uh the other the other part again in the Chinese culture, boys are treated differently than girls, you know, because they carry the generation, the last name and things like that. So uh, they do whatever their thing. We all just went about and do our thing. We don't really have that kind of sibling relationships, uh, talking, chatting, smiling, you know, laughing, doing things together. I don't, I don't recall any of that. I only remember my sister. I don't really remember a lot about my brother except that one incident that I wrote in the book trying to play Ghost and Hide and Seek. Um, other than that, I'm always, you know, so we don't really have friends, you know, neighbors, we just keep to ourselves because the rest, we don't know who they are. Like I say, my neighbor is prostitute. We don't talk to them and all of that. Uh, so it's just coming home from school and snipping clothes and, and then routine just goes on like that.
0: And at one no, point role model like you said. Yeah, at, at at one point your mom said to you that if people were nice to you, they want something from you. She taught you to never trust anyone. How yeah. how did you go from so much pain and so much chaos to, as I said in introducing you, now uh possessing not one degree, not two but four degrees. How was that possible?
1: Um, Again, trust in people is very difficult when your whole life, you don't even know what that feels like. But particularly in 10th grade, I flunked a major exam. It's called the Cambridge exam. In fact, I don't know if that's considered fail, but I basically didn't even show up for the exam. Why bother to try? I'm gonna fail anyway. And it was the most humiliating time of my life because everybody would have gone on and wore a different uniform. But if I were to repeat that grade, I would wear the same uniform and everybody would know that wow. I didn't pass. And so I tell myself, I am going to allow myself to only cry for 24 hours and suck it up 365 days. It could be the... Longest 365 days of my life or the shortest in the long run. I'm going to give it all. But again, sometimes you can only know how to push yourself, but something outside has to transpire. And there was this vice principal uh, who took on the class of 30 repeated. Them is we all repeat, and uh, again, not very good school. We all repeat, so we don't really have much aspiration or hope. But because no teachers will want to teach that class, he had no choice, he had to teach the class. He walked in of all subjects, it was math. Oh boy, imagine <laughs> if you are failing, the last thing you want to do is math. And I go. Oh my goodness! But I'm not gonna let that determine. We're also afraid of him. Vice Miss. by usually, your disciplinary master and uh, I say I gotta do this. I don't care about friends. I don't care what people say. Putting aside, just like a switch, you just turn off. I don't want to be humiliated. And I reminded myself how awful that felt. But what happened was he did not just teach math. He actually taught me to how to embrace myself, he would say things like, look at this, do this. Of course you can do that. Look at this. This is simple. Just think about it this way. These are the steps. You can do it. And he speak like that to the class. And I think he was speaking to me. He taught me, not a subject, not a curriculum. He taught me. So whenever I stumble on something I don't understand, I can do this reread again, it doesn't matter how many times I'm going to read that thing, go through it again. We don't have internet, we don't have, you know, tutoring, uh, a tutor, I just have to repeat it until I get every word right. So that was just one of the people that turned, you know, and um, I mean, uh, yeah. So when you ask, you know, what is that turn, that was the first turn in my life.
0: The there's so much um, that you tell in in your book. Um, I'm going to leap ahead even from that, but but I do want to point out the power of words words from your mom, words from the people around you, words from your teachers, and the power of teachers, and we all teach each other in different ways, and again, your, your book really speaks to the power of words and teaching, and, and now you today are a teacher touching so many lives yourselves. I want to fast forward to this guy you met named Steve. Steve was like your mother's worst nightmare. I mean, your mother told you, American guys, they're flirtatious, they're not trustworthy, and if he wears a Jeep, she told you never to trust a man who drives a not wears a Jeep, who drives a Jeep, <laughs> although some Jeep owners feel like they're wearing their Jeeps, but moving <laughs> right <people>. along. <laughs> Your mother taught you that you should never trust a, a man who drives a jeep, wears dark sunglasses, and is in the military. And that was the exact description of Steve.
1: Yes. <laughs> <laughs> again, by then, uh, I, I missed one part in there, what what leaps to that drive, and I'm going to get to my husband, is that uh, that year when I finished the, 365 days of repeat year. I went on to the next grade and I became the best all-around student of the year. And there's something that, you know, like, wow, I actually achieved one thing in my life and it changes. And I, you know, became dodgingly pursuing. I learned to set goals, set my life and do whatever I want. I don't care what people think. And so this is the same thing. Meeting my husband if I'm going to do something, I'm going to go with my feelings. I'm going to make decisions in my life. I got to take action. I'm going to stop letting outsiders tell me who I am, what I can or cannot do. I'm going to do whatever I want. So people could think of it as, oh, that is just not very nice, you know, being stubborn, being prideful. And it is very true, you know, being arrogant and all this. And people could look at it, and we all have that resilience and grit to do that it can be positive and it can be negative but um in in you know throughout my my book i talk about no one cares how much you know until they know how much you care is when i learned that the reason why these people and i call them accidental angels that came to my life is that they care about me not because I'm stubborn, not because I'm, you know, persistent and resilient. It's me as a person. So we need a combination of both of that, uh, in order to do good. No point excelling and being smart and wealthy and all this and then, you know, you don't do good for anybody. You don't care about anything.
0: Absolutely. So
1: Steve was you know, that character that I'm gonna do it. I see something good in him, I'm gonna marry even though it's gonna be five. You know, but it was something that I own.
0: <laughs> Dr. Hong, we're going to take a break and we will be right back. Folks, stay where you are. This is Pamela Brewer, and you're listening to Mind Talk. Dr. Hong, you close your book with a quote that I would like to share with the audience, and that is, don't compare your life to others. There was no comparison between the sun, the moon, and the stars. They shine when it's their time. And what a wonderful way to sort of close out failing up. If there's one thing that you would like for, for listeners to get from your story today and, and from what you have written, what might it be?
1: Um, to add to that quote, there must be darkness for stars to shine. Always remember that in your mind. Don't avoid things that are negative, that, are, that you feel, that you don't like, that you're afraid of. Is to go forth, develop the attribute. It's not so much the destination, but the transformation of who you are that gets you through life. You know, and in failing, if you are still falling forward, you are still moving forward. It's a matter of picking yourself up. Um, I talk about, you know, uh, not in the book, but as I share about the book, it's like riding a bicycle. The more you feel that if you look down and you think that you're falling and out of balance, is when you need to keep riding that bike. And that's how you stay forward and going forward. And so that's the important message that I hope the audience will get out of it.
0: Dr. Hong, how do people learn more about your book and the things that you're doing?
1: They can go to my website at barbarahong.com. And, and can, uh, also that's,
0: can you sorry. spell your name for us?
1: B-A-R-B-A-R-A-H-O-N-G. Okay. Yeah.
0: BarbaraHong.com. And again, Dr. Hong is the author of Failing Up, A Professor's Odyssey of Flunking, Determination, and Hope. Such a powerful read and so helpful on so many levels. Thank you so much, Dr. Hong, for sharing your story with us today.
1: Thank you.
0: And folks, thank you for joining us today on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an educational public service. It is not intended to replace any work that you may choose to do with a medical, mental health, or other professional. Mind Talk is produced by Jim Brown and 26 by 2 Communications. I'd love to know where in the world you are as you're listening to us today, so do send an email to me with your questions or comments or just let me know where you are. Uh, and that's Pamela, P-A-M-E-L-A at mindtalk.org. That's M-Y-N-D-T-A-L-K dot O-R-G. Remember, MindTalk is available on demand by going to the MindTalk website, but there are also several other platforms that you listen to where you can also listen to MindTalk. And folks, I want you to remember always, if it's unacceptable then it's unacceptable. You take care.